Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. The Palm Beach County Medical Society in Florida has begun a series of intense discussions regarding the opioid crisis. The first webinar is with Robert Stutman, former chief of the New York City DEA, and since his retirement, he has widely and aggressively worked toward a practical understanding of the opioid use disorder in order to mitigate the problem. This recording is an overview of what will be discussed at that webinar, and it will also discuss the issues of mixing the COVID crisis with the opioid crisis. There are overlaps. A link will be later posted here so people can listen to that webinar. Today, we're speaking with Bob Stuffman, at one time known as the most famous narc in America. Bob is a 25-year veteran of the DEA who, in the midst of the Colombian drug wars, became special agent in charge of the New York City office. After retiring from the DEA, Bob went on to a career as a leading advocate for drug prevention and education, which he continues to do to this day. I'm Dr. Brent Schellinger, joined with my colleague, Abby Strauss. We're going to be talking for the next 15 minutes or so about the specific link between COVID and the opioid epidemic. COVID-19 obviously been dominating the headlines for the last couple of months. What happened to the opioid epidemic? Great question, Brent. It is, I think, the question of the day. When I retired from DEA, 9,000 people died of overdose. Last year, 70,000 Americans died from drug overdose. We are probably going to lose 150,000 Americans this year to COVID-19. A horrible, terrible number. But here's the good news with COVID-19. There will be a vaccination for COVID-19. It may be three months, six months, it may be a year, but there will be a vaccination. There will never be a vaccination in my lifetime, I don't think, for opioid use disorder. We are going to continue with drug overdoses once we stop the COVID-19. In a study published in JAMA, it said if everything goes right, we are probably going to have 700,000 Americans die from drug overdose in the next 10 years. That's because we have no vaccination. And here's the problem with opioid use disorder in my mind. You're right, Brent. I love talking to docs. I love talking to psychologists. I love talking to everybody, but my huge love is talking to high school kids without parents, without teachers, thousand kids and me. And honestly, because of my reputation, they believe me because I'm always honest. When I talk to kids and say, what's your drug of choice? When you, I, and Abby were using drugs, not you and I personally, but our age group, we were using LSD, grass, drugs like that methamphetamine, etc. When I talk to kids today, and I talk to 15,000 high school kids a year, I say to them, what's your drug of choice? They consistently say Vicodin. Now, when I say to them, how did you first start on this stuff? Because Vicodin, as you know, is not a drug you would normally buy in the street from a dope peddler. I get two answers, guys. And I don't care if I'm in LA, New York, or Florida. I get the same number one, sports injury. I broke an ankle. I broke an arm. I I went to see the doctor. 
they gave me hydrocodone, they gave me Vicodin, and here's the words I get. And they never told me the potential consequences. I get that from moms. The second answer I get, besides wisdom teeth, dentists now very often prescribe as much as 30 Vicodin for a wisdom tooth. And again, they don't tell the patient. Again, a JAMA study, 23% of primary care physicians tell young adults or their parents potential negative consequences of these drugs. And as you gents know, for opioids, it can be as little as four uses and you get a physical dependence. Obviously not a, you don't become addicted, but there's a physical dependence very often for and more. So they're really tough drugs. Now, how does it tie into COVID? Think about what opioids do. They interfere with your respiration. What's the biggest scary part about COVID? Shutting down the lungs. They interfere with each other. So people who have an opioid use disorder are much more likely to die from a COVID problem than they are if they don't have an opioid use disorder. And by the way, guys, vice versa, they're liable to go from an opioid use overdose if they have COVID-19. Second problem is, what do we tell every American to do because of the COVID-19 problem? We tell them to stay away. We tell them to lock themselves up in the house. Social distancing. One of the problems with opioid use disorder is when people are alone. They lock themselves up. They have nobody to talk to. They have nobody to help them with the disease. It works that way. The other problem is FDA two weeks ago upped the amount of hydrocodone that can be sold in the United States by 65% to deal with the COVID-19 problem. God knows what that's going to cause in America. So they are two diseases that play off each other. Let me ask you a quick question, Bob. Absolutely. So there are multiple points here, and they're very, very good points. But let's go back to the section you said about being alone. Because the treatment of, of any substance disorder, it's very hard to do it by yourself. Yeah. And you need people, and that's what AA and NA, and that's why they're so successful. These people are isolating. It may be too early, but do you have any sense of all the online NA meetings and AA meetings? Are they helping? Are they enough of a buffer? Or is it too, though they might mean well, it's just not deep enough? It's too early to tell. I have not seen any studies that are meaningful on that. But there's another question that goes along with it. I think, as you will agree, medically assisted treatment is extraordinarily helpful for a lot of people. And because of the separation, they can't even get medically assisted treatment. So you're right. They can't get the 12-step programs because you can't go to the meetings. And they also can't get the mats, medically assisted treatment. So they both are cutting off treatment, all kinds of treatment. Do we have any sense, and I don't know, I probably need to learn. Do we have any sense of similar type of situations after hurricanes, allowing for the fact that a hurricane is limited compared to this? Uh, that's a great question, Ab. And the answer is, I don't know the answer either. But that is a great question. I am going to try to find that out before I speak to your group. Uh, that is an excellent question. 
if I could throw something else in. We can talk all day about these issues. I think the biggest issue is the one Brent opened up with. Everybody is talking about COVID. Nobody's talking about opioid use disorder now. We had finally, after years, we had finally some conversation about the subject in America. Honestly, we had docs paying attention to the fact that prescribing opioids could be very dangerous from some places. We finally had the percentage of doctors who were overprescribing cutting down. We lost all that momentum when COVID-19 hit because nobody, nobody's talking about this. I do speeches all the time. And I will tell you, I have lots of my clients who say, nobody wants to hear about drug abuse. They want to hear about COVID-19. So to me, that's the biggest fear is how long will it take us to once again pay attention? I think for a lot of people, and I'm not disagreeing at all with you, I'm concurring with both of you. It's almost like it's a relief not to talk about something as intense, as stubborn, as chronic, as substance abuse, as you said at the very beginning. And I hope that some good biochemist discovers the vaccine sooner than later. But don't, probably, don't we both? But probably not. So we've shifted from a long-term nefarious multi-layered problem to a virus, which at least in so many people's mind is just something that we need to find the right therapeutic for, but it doesn't fix it. How can we ramp up the conversation, get it back where it needs to be focused, and how can we get the physicians more involved? In my opinion, Brent, exactly what you guys are doing, Palm Beach County Medical Society, exactly what you're doing. We are now talking about the issue when a lot of other people aren't, honestly. And I think this was a stroke of genius, but I think it's a stroke of genius to bring this subject up in the middle. Because doctors, I don't blame doctors for where we are in the opioid use disorder problem. A lot of people blame doctors. Doctors are overprescribing. That's the answer you get all the time. If they were or if they are overprescribing, I absolutely believe doctors have been stuck in the middle. They didn't do this on purpose. They're stuck in the middle. Let me give you just one example, if I may, of how they are stuck in the middle. I guarantee if we're all watching TV of some kind during this pandemic, a lot more than I like, but we're watching. We have all seen, I'm going to bet, I may be exaggerating, dozens of prescription medicine ads on TV over the past month. We see it for fun drugs like Cialis and not so fun drugs, okay? For all kinds of drugs on TV all the time. How many of us knew that's illegal in every other country in the world except New Zealand? It is illegal to advertise drugs on mass marketing, except in New Zealand and the United States. Now, what does that pharmaceutical ad tell your patient? And I'll tell you what it tells them. You know this. When they walk in, they want a pill because a pill will solve my problem. Brent, if you don't give me a pill, you're a lousy doctor. That's what we teach every American, illegal in every other country in the world except New Zealand. We can thank the lobbyists for that. You bring up so many points. 
I'm old enough to remember the Vietnam War days. And you and me both. And so many times once a week, the New York Times, other newspapers would print the names of all the people who had died, or at least the numbers who had died. Right. And it had the effect of, oh, my God, the number keeps going up. Yep. It also had a little bit of the effect of, I don't want to see any more numbers. Just they ignored it. We don't get numbers, even without the COVID, of the number of overdoses per week or whatever time period. And now, at least on MSNBC and, or maybe a CNN, whichever one of them, there's a panel to the side that's like minute by minute number of deaths. Yep. And so we've kind of let the opioid crisis slip away. And I think that as physicians, with your good work and what the, the medical society is doing, is I, it sounds so trite at one level to say it, but it's got to come back to the table for serious discussion. It absolutely does. You're absolutely right. Let me share a couple of those numbers. The Vietnam War that you talked about, I was there for a short period of time, but 52,000 Americans died in Vietnam. 70,000 will die this year from opioid use disorder. One year, one year, 52,000 died in Vietnam. Let me put it in a perspective that makes common sense to most Americans. Those numbers don't necessarily hit people. When you give them something they can compare with, that hits people. The average commercial airline flight, when it's involved in a crash, Anywhere in the world, for the past 10 years, the average number of deaths per commercial airline crash has been 123 passengers died in a commercial airline crash. The average number of Americans that die from drug overdose in one hour, 175 to 190. Compare this for a minute. Imagine if every single hour in the United States... We had a commercial airline crash that killed a hundred and something people. You know what our president would do. I don't care if you love him or hate him. He would shut down the airline industry. That is all the three of us would be talking about. Oh, my God, an airline crash every hour. Excuse me? We have that many people die every hour from drug overdose, and we're still not talking about it. Do you think part of the reason for this unwillingness to continue discussion has to do with the ugly face of stigma, the stigma that's placed on drug addiction? I would let Abby answer that question. <laughs> my, my answer would certainly be one word, yes. <laughs> it depends, and this is beyond this discussion, but it depends upon the origin of the substance abuse. How much of it is purely physiologic? How much of it is an accidental addiction? How much of it reflects some psychological issue or trauma? If it becomes a purely physiologic phenomenon, purely physiologic, no psychological stuff, if it gets to that, it never will. But if it does, then we can take away the stigma. It's like getting um, rheumatoid arthritis. But there is still the stigma that if you're into drugs, there's a weakness. There's a running away from responsibility. And there may even be some pleasure in being intoxicated. From a psychiatric point of view, it is not that simple. A lot of drug users, and I've worked with 
many over the years. And I, I mean, Bob, you know, New York City, I cut my teeth at the Beth Israel Medical Center. Oh, with Dolan Nicewinder. Yes. And I, I got to see stuff that I don't know how to explain elsewhere. I spent my Saturdays in graduate school working in the men's shelter for the New York City on the Bowery. But what I learned quickly is that we have to be very careful of what labels we put on people. It is very difficult to treat them. It is not impossible. It is expensive. And there's a lot of stigma to get to Brent's point about how people just, they don't want to look at it. They don't want to accept it. Their families don't want to accept it. How dare you be on methadone? Oh, my God. But, Mom, it's the first time in years that I'm not looking for, for heroin. And all the nuances in between. I think this is what we as physicians, and well, I'm going to give you the honorary degree of a doctor now, okay, Bob? But but we need to talk about this seriously and pull these definitions down and be tight and look at the providers and look at the rehab centers and just go, 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 go. I heard you talk. I listened to some of your other podcasts, and they were very good. And you talked about the Phoenix House, which was great. That model, if we could just Xerox that model, it's not going to fix everything, but it's going to fix a lot. And I'm glad you made reference to it. We need to teach physicians that model. We need to teach so many people that model and begin the process, which pray tell we are starting to do with this whole um, series that and it's a big we 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 bit off a lot, guys. We bit off a lot, but we're going to try to to make it work. Brent's in charge of the whole thing, yes. so I feel it'll work terrifically. So to put it just a little bit back into the context of COVID. New York Times not that long ago had a headline saying that the coronavirus pandemic is a national relapse trigger for the opioid situation. That that's a great headline, I think. It's a great headline. That's exactly where we are. And Brent, I mean this sincerely. You asked me a question about five minutes ago. What do we do about changing what's happening? Exactly what you're doing. You are giving doctors, hopefully, a meaningful presentation with different points of view represented about where we are going. And hopefully, we will wake up America. Not only the docs. Because one thing, as you know, Brent, I speak to a lot of doctors around the country. One of the things I've learned is docs, you are a human being with a family. So I try to talk to you not just as a physician, but as a dad and somebody with a family and a human being. There is so much misconception. And as Abby absolutely said correctly, people tend to look down on people who are drug addicts. I'll never forget when Philip Seymour Hoffman died of a heroin overdose. Everything I know said he was a wonderful man. And I heard somebody say, talking about him dying, well, can you imagine what a bum he was using drugs? We get misunderstandings. If I say drug addict to most Americans, they will conjure up a picture in their mind. And certainly, Abby knows what that picture is as well as I do. That picture is poor inner city black or brown Americans. I lived undercover for five years as a drug trafficker for DEA. I know that world. 
And that world goes far beyond minority inner city gangbangers. And I will talk about that in length when we do our formal presentation. And what's so fascinating about what you bring up is that these are not unattainable goals. And any doctor, any social worker, any psychologist, any reasonable person who learns and listens and looks at their own biases and separates it from what's really going on and blends, oh my God, what a difference we can make. We sure can. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You have a great rest of the day. Thank you.